Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to L.A. Kings Road Talk Radio. spending the next hour or so doing nothing but talking L.A. Kings hockey. After all, there's nothing else to talk about when it's game night here. For L.A. Kings fans, this is what we do, and this is what we've been doing all season long, each and every road game. And a fantastic night of hockey. Great way to start off what is going to be really a long, long road trip. Seven-game road trip. Uh, longest of the season, and really, I could not ask for a better uh, a better script to get this thing started than a uh, decisive uh, three to one victory over the Florida Panthers. A uh, you know tough tough team playing well lately, so not a pushover by any stretch. And uh, you know what? This is your show though too. If you want to call and talk a little L.A. Kings hockey, phone in number five one six four one eight five eight two nine. That's five one six four one eight five eight two nine. And joining me right now to talk and help me out and break it all down, uh, CaliSportsNews.com NHL Director, Mr. Jeff Duarte. Hey, Jeff, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Hip Check. Uh, I want to say that I am super happy and pumped that the Kings were able to pull off the win today, win their third in a row, get another two points, which I am happy about. But I have to admit, that hit that Trevor Lewis took near the end of the game was like a gut I got punched to my stomach, so it, it is very bittersweet. I hope he's okay, and I'm hoping that uh, Josh Cooper, the intern, uh, Ellie King, the intern Ellie King's insider, well, John Rosen's covered the Olympics. Hopefully, he can give us some type of update. But uh, yeah, big win by the Kings. Jonathan Quick was outstanding tonight. I'm very happy that John Stevens decided to play Quick today and save Kemper for tomorrow against the uh, NHL leading Tampa Bay Lightning. So uh, very happy for the win. Great start to the road trip, but man, Trevor Lewis is on my mind, Hip. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely uh, that was definitely hard to watch uh, in any circumstances. But once again, when you talk about uh, just the level that Trevor Lewis is, the respect he has from you know not only his teammates but really everyone around the league, and uh, 
just the way he plays the game, uh, without a doubt, without a doubt, I think uh, you're you're in good company. Hey, that said, uh, and we'll see if we can get some uh, updates here uh, as uh, the night goes on. We'll see if LA Kings Insider posts anything and we can get any type of update. But uh, going back through quick, real quick, the one thing that we should start off with that we're happy John Stevens went with him, but the other thing about that is that uh, – Quick has a great record against Florida. You know, when we when we were upset that, uh, you know, he started quick against Nashville, uh, part of that was, was quick, just has a horrible record against Nashville. So no issues at all because statistically, quick has done well against Florida. And you saw it tonight because, uh, I mean, tonight was arguably his strongest game of the season when you break down, uh, you know, his stats basically had uh, – what, 30, uh, 30, 35 saves, .9 save, uh, 7.2 save percentage. And really, when it was the first period, even spurts in the second, Florida was bringing it on. They were bringing the pressure, and uh, Quick stoned them at every turn. And uh, tonight was vintage Quick. Yeah, absolutely, and especially early, early uh, in the game, in the first period where Quick really had to uh, be his old self very quickly to, to make these great saves, toe saves, pad saves, split saves, and like you said, vintage Quick. So he was definitely laser-focused today against the Panthers, and yes, statistically, uh, Quick has played very well against the Panthers, but uh, the, the stats that I'm looking at is the fact that Quick was 1-7-0 and and in his last eight games with an 874 save percentage. So that was definitely a concern because we all know Jonathan Quick, whether it's a mysterious injury, whether it's his confidence, whether he's just not in fine form, he's just in a slump. Quick has not been himself for some time, which uh, he was fantastic in this game. It was great to see him make those great saves early on because really the Kings were horrible defensively starting off this game and Quick had to be on top of his game to keep his team in it, which he did, and the Kings, of course, came on and then uh, came back and won the game. But, yeah, Jonathan Quick, when Quick is like this, when he when his eyes is laser-focused on that puck, and the thing about Quick that people cannot just forget and write him off is the fact that Quick, do not forget, is a very proud person. He is a very proud person and extremely competitive. So he knows himself that he's not playing good. There's probably no harsher uh, critic about Jonathan Quick than Quick himself. And with Darcy Kemper now playing the majority of the games, and rightfully so, he's the hot hand. He's playing amazing. Quick, of course, is going to be supportive of, of his teammate. But deep down inside, he's like, you know what? i got to play better. And you know he's going to have a as he oh, did. No. Was Jonathan Quick again? Indeed, indeed. And you know what's funny too, because you could even uh, you could just see in the body language. You know, that's the one thing I think that about Quick too, and I'm sure other teams have picked up on it. But uh, you can just see by his body language, just the way he holds himself before games uh, or during games, even whether he's on his game. Sometimes when things aren't going right, you see him lunging a little bit. You see him slouching a little bit. Uh, but uh, but uh, tonight, yeah, he stood strong. You could just see by the the body language that he was he was going to be in good form. Hey, we got a lot to talk about. We're going to once again break down the the, the game and. Uh, uh, to go around the league was a good night uh, for really for the Kings uh, across the league. 
We're going to give some updates here. We got the Ducks playing the Oilers right now, so we definitely want to keep our eyes on that. And uh, even have some uh, Gabe Velarde updates. So all things LA Kings right here. And uh, joining us right now, our uh, other regular uh, host on the show, Mr. Augie Loya, LA Kings superfan. Hey, Augie, how are you, buddy? I'm doing really good, and I'm breathing a uh, sigh of relief because on the night where Johnny Brzezinski and repeat after me, hip, Nick Shore, score goals, <laughs> uh, and, and Jonathan Quick uh, uh, fights, rediscovers himself, that's a really positive sign. And one thing that I kind of gleaned from this and this was, I think, kind of the vision of Dean Lombardi last year when he acquired Ben, Be- ben Bishop at the trade deadline was to have a two-headed monster. Well, fast forward one year, and uh, if Quick has gotten past whatever mental roadblock or physical ailments uh, he had been suffering from that uh, made him very un-Jonathan Quick-like, uh, could you imagine him and Kemper being hot and bold? I mean, just, that's a 1A and 1B right there for you. And uh, kudos to Stevens for doing the brave thing and uh, doing the thing that I necessarily would not have done, and that was staying with Kemper for a couple of games in a row during this homestand and then letting Ke- and then letting Quick in there against the Panthers to set up possibly Kemper for tomorrow against the Lightning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you're, you're spot on. And it, uh, much like every move Lombardi made uh, during the last three seasons, the Ben Bishop move didn't work out at all. But uh, – so far, early in the uh, the Rob Blake era, uh, things are you know going about as about as good as you could hope. You know, uh, let me go right back to the beginning though, uh, before we even break down the game here as far as goals for goals go. But uh, the one thing that I'm just so optimistic, uh, the Trevor Lewis issue notwithstanding, was it was just a complete team effort. I mean, when you have a long road trip uh, ahead of you. And you can have, I mean, really, this is the kind of game you want. You know, you could say, oh, maybe it would have been better if the Kings, you know, just knocked the shit out of them seven to nothing or six to nothing. Florida doesn't show up and the Kings poured on. But I actually think this is the best kind of game that you could have because Stevens was A, able to roll all four lines. And once again, everybody contributed. I mean, there was, everybody had a role and everybody played it. And, as evidence for that, the fourth line players got over ten minutes worth of, of ice time. Typically, in a in a tough game, you're going to see uh, Andrei off or Brodzinski maybe with about seven or eight minutes. But uh, because the way the entire team was playing, it gave Stevens a chance uh, to roll all of those lines, really balance out. Uh, you had Dowdy uh, with just a, just a shade over 24 minutes, which once again, sometimes we'll see him play 25, 26, 27. Uh, Kopey with a lot of ice time, as is the normal him. But for everybody else, uh, really manage the manage the ice time well. And when you're looking at a seven-game road trip, uh, I just couldn't really ask once again for a better scenario to get it started off than a win like this with uh, just the balance, with the strength in goaltending. Uh, we had a couple of scraps, which once again sometimes can pull a team together. And uh, so let me go ahead and throw that over to you, uh, Augie. Uh, you know, do you agree about that? Uh, really couldn't ask for anything else, right? 
Yeah, it was, uh, I guess it was like the, the perfect storm that we could really want uh, a tough game against a team that's been uh, winning consistently as of late. And they really put the test to quicken the Kings. And uh, uh, the, that one goal, uh, notwithstanding that one goal, which, by the way, I don't know what's up with Kyle Clifford and taking dumb penalties on road trips because he did that in Nashville, yeah. and that started a crap storm. And then tonight um, – he did it again, and it resulted in a goal. But even then, no one got phased by it. They just came right back. Yeah, absolutely. And Florida coming off, you know, they'd won four in a row, six, four, and oh in their last ten games. So, you know, they're definitely not like you're playing uh, Buffalo or, or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, Jeff, uh, as well, uh, would you agree once again, when you're just based on the way that game went, you could not ask for anything more encouraging to, to start off this trip? No, not at all. And uh, it kind of reminded me, not completely, of the Arizona game where the Kings won 6 nothing. But I'm just using that game as an example where the Kings were rocking and rolling by rolling all four lines and all three defensive pairings. And everybody was just clicking together as a unit. They had the hive mentality. It was just, boom, five up, five back. And when the Kings play like that, they're extremely tough to beat. They're extremely tough to score on. Now, Florida, of course, has not had a very strong season. They're five or six points outside of a of a playoff position. But as you mentioned, Hip, they have won four in a row. So this is not an easy team to beat because they've been rocking and rolling as well. So this is definitely encouraging by the Kings and encouraging by Stevens after that debacle of a Nashville game where we just really questioned all of his decisions. And this one, even the Nick Shore one, turned out to be a good decision, even though I – uh, disagreed with it because it meant Michael Mario didn't play. But if the Kings are going to play like this and the chemistry is working, you know what? You got to go with it. And hopefully the Kings can bring this teamwork tomorrow to Tampa to take on the Lightning. Absolutely. And uh, not that I'm patting myself on the back, even though I'm patting myself on the back, but I made a uh, prediction earlier in the game. I thought the fourth line uh, was going to play a role in the game. Of course, at that time, I thought it was going to be a Mario and not sure, but uh, alas, uh, that uh, prediction still proved true. And let's go ahead, boys, and uh, get this game started here and broken down. Uh, Florida opened uh, up the scoring uh, at about, uh, oh, nine and a half minutes in. Aaron Ekblad with his 11th. Uh, boy, Florida looked really, really strong on that power play. At that point of the game, uh, I mean, it was still quick, was hanging tough had made already a bevy of beautiful saves before that, but Florida on the power play looked amazing. And uh, at that point, it was still, uh, you know, you never know what Kings team's going to show up, but beautiful, beautiful putt movement on the power play. And, uh, yeah, I think at that time we were kind of, you know, Florida was out shooting the Kings, ended up shooting, out shooting them for the game. But at that point, it was still anybody's game. Uh, you had a pretty good scap there, Andrioff and uh, Haley. Uh, Haley really probably last of the true enforcers, really, when you think about it. That guy does I, – I would bet that he's got a – you know, we talk we, – we joke about the Jordan Nolan versus Andrioff scoring competition. Uh, we'll take a look at Michael Haley and see what his uh, career stats are because I'm guessing uh, they're probably not very high. But that was the uh, pretty much the way the first uh, the first period went. But in the second, once again, uh, Nick Shore with really a beautiful goal once again set up by set up by Andy Andrioff. I mean, this is uh, 
This is this is this is bizarre. This is this is brave new world territory on L.A. Kings Red Road Talk Radio, <laughs> where we're talking about a beautiful Nick Shorgal set up by a uh, beautiful pass by uh, Andy Andrioff. So something we've never talked about before. Oh, thank you. Um, there, hey, the hip, crowd goes uh, wild. Uh, yeah, uh, buddy. Hip, who scored that? Who scored that goal again? Yeah, exactly. Who scored it? <laughs> Who hit? Yep, yep, Nick Shore. Wow, <laughs> no, credit, when, credit when credit is With due. Like I said, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was really a highlight reel goal for him, and definitely a highlight reel pass for Andrioff. You know, uh, oh, here we go. I, I hope they, <laughs> I hope they can keep that mojo going. Really, I mean, but realistically, I'm, I mean. It, Okay, let's let's do it. Let's put it this way. And actually, let's go ahead and bring on Jerry from Ohio right now. We're going to have Jerry come on the panel. Hey, Jerry, how are you, buddy? Doing good, doing good, guys. That was a great game. It was good. It was good to see Quick back in form and you know square to the shots and you know making saves again. That that really made me feel a lot better. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And Augie just dropped here, but we'll see if we can get him back on. Uh, I wanted to really bring you on, though, uh, Jerry, because I want you to be part of the panel. So we were talking about the rarity that Nick Shore scored combined with the rarity of probably the most beautiful pass you're ever going to see from Andy Andrioff. So I was going to ask you, what are the Vegas odds for those two hooking up for a goal tomorrow night against Tampa Bay, against the Tampa Bay Lightning? What are the the Vegas odds, and I'll go ahead and I will open up the odds with my guess. I, w- I, w- I would say the Vegas odds are probably going to be 50 to 1, and I'll go ahead. Jeff, what, what's your prediction? Vegas odds on, on those two hooking up tomorrow for a, for a goal and an assist. <laughs> Against Tampa Bay, the number one team in the yes. NHL today. Oh, oh man, exactly. I don't think it's very good. If I'm not a betting man, but my odds wouldn't be very good. You think it'd be higher than my my fifty to one long shot? <laughs> maybe maybe a hundred to one. <laughs> right. Jerry, are you a betting man? And if so, what is your Vegas uh, your Vegas line? on the Nick Shore and the Andrioff combo uh, scoring tomorrow. I'm not much of a betting man, but I'm going to go with the tried and true slim and none. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. We lost Augie Loy. Augie, if you can call back, buddy, please do. We we want to get your take on the uh, Vegas odds on this. So, uh, Moving forward then, uh, at that point it was one-to-one, and uh, Derek Forbert also got a secondary assist uh, on that goal, and we'll talk about him a little bit later. Uh, As the game went on, the second period, really uh, a battle, each team kind of exchanging uh, chances. Uh, Florida actually had a couple good flurries there, uh, ultimately outshot the Kings 16-9 in that period, but it was Johnny Brzezinski with a seeing-eyed shot, uh, scores his third of the season, uh, once again, assisted by Derek Forbert. At that point, it was two to nothing. And let's talk about Bredzinski because, guys, I told you I coach, uh, I coach my kids' hockey teams, and there are some players that, for whatever reason, just manage to score quirky goals. Uh, there's no, like I say, there's no rhyme, there's no reason to it, but they just happen 
to to get deflections. They just happen to do these little backhands that end up scoring. They they happen to be able to launch maybe a, a weak little wrist shot that somehow will dip down or, you know, and you can call it puck luck or whatnot, but Johnny Brzezinski, he is, he's one of those players. I mean, he's got a great shot and all that stuff, but this is a guy that he, he manages to just score. I don't, there's no, I don't, I, I don't have a real breakdown because while he's got a good shot, it's not, uh, you know, I'm sure Tyler Toffoli's probably got a little bit better shot and, you know, there's players down the lineup that probably got more, but Brodzinski, he just has an intangible uh, when it comes to scoring. Go ahead, Jeff, uh, your your reaction. You know who uh, Johnny Brodzinski really reminds me of? And he's not at that level yet, but he has the potential to be at that level. And for those of you, I know you guys, but those of you listening out there who are longtime hockey fans, remember Kirk Muller? Played for the Montreal oh, Canadiens, yeah. was the yeah. captain. Of course, took on the Kings 93 uh, Stanley Cup final, played for New Jersey, played, I think, even, yeah, he played for Toronto as well. Now, what I really liked about Kirk Muller was that he was the type of player who just got the puck on the net. He got a lot of greasy goals, puck lot goals, you know, whatever you want to call it. But really, his formula, his system that, that he had was simply this. Just get the puck to the net. And I've said it many times where I remember when I was a kid, my coach, the first thing I remember my coach teaching us was, you know what, if you're, if you're covered and you don't have a clear shot, you can't pass to anyone, you know what, just throw the puck at the net. You never know what's going to happen. And that's something Brodzinski does. And that's something Kirk Muller used to do in his career that really uh, makes me compare Brodzinski to Kirk Muller or potentially can be a Kirk Muller type player. And Muller scored a lot of big goals in his career. So this goal that uh, Brodzinski scored was actually perfect. The puck was bouncing. It was a pass by Forbert. And uh, Brodzinski had to try to control it. The puck, whether hit bad ice or was a bad pass, I'm not too sure, but the puck was all over the place. He had his back to the net, and all he did was just backhander it as best as he could towards the net, and it took a deflection, but it doesn't matter. Just get the puck on net. You never know what's going to happen, and look what happened. It got deflected into the net. Big goal for the Kings to have a 2-1 lead. So what I like about Brodzinski, yes, you know what? He has a big shot. He's very good uh, positionally. He is, you know, he plays with his heart on his sleeve. He gives her. He's always given 100%. He's great at pushing the puck back in transition. But what I really like about him is that he did it a lot in this game. Of course, he, that one it was the one that he scored. Just he just gets that puck in the net. He could be in the corner and he's covered by a guy bigger than him. But he's gonna he's just gonna shoot that puck in there because if the goal is not paying attention or somebody could get a stick on it or if somebody can accidentally deflect it, it might go in. It's worth a shot. And he does it all the time, and I really like that about his game. Absolutely, and you know you could almost you could almost make the reference to Luke Robitaille as well. Definitely kind of a different type of player, but. Once again, Robotai had that same kind of ability, being in the right place, being able to get a deflection, being able to to just, once again, it's an intangible, but there's some players that can do it. And once again, I've seen other kids that I've coached that have that, that knack. There's some kids that, you know, clearly, or even players that can clearly pick a corner, your Jeff Carters, your Kopitars, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then you have other players that you brought up the Mueller example, uh, you, you can, once again, the Luke Robitaille example. Also, too, lest we forget, you know, he had 16 points in 13 games in the HL, so he was tearing it up there. And I did my uh, game report there when I went and saw him play. Him and Amadio were a, a men amongst boys. But once again, a great, great sign 
that we're getting fourth line production. And, and really, I think moving forward, you're, you know, Brodzinski at some point's not going to be out of place being on the third line or probably at some point, even maybe a top six or with, uh, you know, a little chemistry and a little bit of uh, veteran experience, but uh, overall, not a bad game. Had a little, had a little bad uh, brain fart there in the third when he probably should have just dumped it in instead of trying to make a play. But uh, ultimately it did not cost the Kings as much as we were holding our breath. So uh, there we go. Johnny Brzezinski is third of the season. Uh, also assisted by Forbert. I don't know how you managed to give Forbert an assist, just given the quirky nature of the goal, but uh, it is the NHL. Also had a pretty good scrap there with uh, Kyle Clifford and uh, uh, Ian McCaution. Uh Clifford laid a pretty good hit on a Florida player, and I think uh, once again at that point of the game, uh, McCaution, young player, probably figures he just has to stand up for his team. Nothing, uh, nothing really happened there other than Clifford getting the crazy eyes and scaring the shit out of the rookie who looked like he was kind of looked like he was kind of glad just to have it be over. Uh to be fair, put on a uh, a much better performance than uh, Christian Folan did uh, the other night. So, there we go. After that, oh, yeah, we moved really. <laughs> oh, here, what did, yeah, can I say about that fight? Yeah, go ahead, buddy. Uh, one thing I like that Cliff, sure. one thing that I like that Cliffy was doing and then sometimes you'll see it like if your if your hands are tied up in a fight and say, Okay, you're a right hander, so you have your right hand back, you want to throw the haymaker, the cross or, or the hook and uh, you know, your left is grabbing uh, the jer- the jersey of your opponent. You know, sometimes you see those little rabbit punches with the left hand which really doesn't do anything. It it looks like you know, you're if you're if you're writing down how many punches per you know a fighter has in a fight, then yeah, the number's going to go up. But it's not a you can take that all day; that doesn't hurt. But what Cliffy did different, he was actually he was actually like pushing his knuckles into uh, into oh, I'm sorry, what's his name, McCaution's face, which was kind of really irritated him because Cliffy couldn't get a clear shot. Like he did get four clear shots, and then he got tied up. But he just rubbed those knuckles in the rookie's and the kid's face, and he's like, yeah, take that, buddy, take that. And McCaution just didn't want to fight anymore. <laughs> so he just kind of put his hands down. He's like, yeah, I give up. The refs came in. That was the end of the fight. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty funny of Clifford, which, you know, just, just get those knuckles in there. Just tell the young guy, hey, man, you're going to get this if I can't punch you. Yeah, yeah. You know, the other the other funny thing in the second period there that not a lot of people probably caught, but uh, we catch it on L.A. Kings Road Talk Radio because we actually watch the games and give a shit, uh, was there was a play where it looked like uh, Florida was on a rush, and I think it was Dowdy, but one of the Kings players on the back check kind of kind of stuck the stick in between a player's skates or kind of got a little hook, and uh, to his credit, the Florida player just powered through it. And... Uh, Jim Jim Fox actually specifically, you know, pride, you know, congratulated that player. He's like, you know, props to, and I don't know his exact words, but he says, you know, got to have a lot of respect for the player for not going down because had he fell down, he probably would have drew the penalty. And you got to appreciate a player that doesn't, you know, dive or, you know, he had he fell fallen down, probably would have got the call. But it was pretty funny for Jim Fox. Uh, to call that out when it was a play that would have really gone against the Kings, you know, I don't know, I don't yeah, know how many colors. Definitely. I don't think, I don't think idiot, I don't think idiot Brian Hayward would have ever mentioned went out of his way to call a, a play as in such an unbiased fashion. And uh, once again, that's why Jim Fox is definitely one of the best. Uh, after that, we went into the third period, and uh, you know, it was kind of early to say it was the 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 nail in the coffin for Florida. 
But uh, just 25 seconds into it, uh, Kopitar redirects a beautiful Iafalo centering pass. Uh, Dust does a tip in. Uh, Kopitar's 22nd of the season. Uh, Iafalo and Forbert uh, with the assist there. But, Jesus, that was just a beautiful, uh, beautiful play by Iafalo. And, you know, guys, we talked about uh, Brodzinski. We talked about... You know, some of the other young players. But don't look now, but Eofalo's quietly got five points in the last five games. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, he was really strong in this game. And uh, um, I thought he really stood out. In a game where the where the Kings are rolling four lines and everyone is playing as as great as they did, I thought Eofalo was really hustling out there, just trying to get shots or passes or keeping the puck in the offensive zone, digging in the corners. I thought it was... I thought it was one of the best games I've seen him play in a while, even though he's been playing great leading up to this game. He's got that streak going, but the kid's just getting better and better and better. And uh, that pass he gave to Andre Kopitar was tape to tape. It was absolutely perfect. And what I also liked about the goal, too, which also shows, uh, you know, the uh, the experience and, and uh, you know, the veteran experience that Captain Andre Kopitar has is that when Kopitar deflected that puck into the net, uh, he all he did was just keep his blade on the ice. That's all he did. He didn't move. Yeah. He didn't like twist it. He didn't, you know, move his wrist or anything and try to redirect it. He just kept it on the ice. And I have followed. Just got a laser perfect pass on Kopitar's blade, and it went right into the net as if it was all done on purpose, which it probably was because that's what they attempted, and the, and the puck went in. So I thought that was very, very impressive. But, yeah, that play was all Alexia followed. But you know what? He'd been working at that all game, all game, all game, and it was great to see him with that assist with a great pass and Kopi getting the goal, but I follow gets the credit. Yeah, he should almost get like a – and uh, like 1.5 assists for that because you're right, Kobe didn't Kobe didn't do anything but give him a nice target to aim for, and it was pretty much Eofalo that did the rest. It's kind of funny when you you think that once again Forbert got an assist on that play. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's funny like how, uh, how at the end of the yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, Jerry, before I start uh, ranting here. Uh, once again, was that the was that Kopitar goal? I know for me, I that was a triple fist pump for me when uh, Kopi scored that goal. Where where were you thinking? Uh, def- definitely, it was uh, you know it's it's just bitching to see him rolling again and scoring consistently. You know, uh, he had a goal the other night. Okay, it was an empty net goal, but it was, you know he's still he's scoring on a regular basis. I have follow played a fantastic game tonight. He's got that big shot down the middle, and if it doesn't do anything else, it keeps the other team honest. You've got to respect that you, because yeah. it's going to get down there. Um, you know, if you can pick up a garbage goal off of a rebound from it, then bonus. Um, yeah, he played it. He yeah. played a hell of yeah. a game tonight. He, he's really looking good on that line with Kofi, and I'm loving the chemistry of those two are developing. Yeah, I, I agreed. And you know what? That's the thing about uh, about Iafalo was, I mean, now you're seeing the points coming. He's getting really better every game after a stretch where he was held off the scoreboard. But even when he wasn't scoring, just the style he plays, you're right, it keeps the other team honest. Um, and really, I'll take a guy like that that keeps the puck hemmed in in the offensive zone. He could score nothing. You know, he could score zero points. 
but provided he just keeps that hustle and is efficient at keeping uh, the puck the puck in the other end, uh, geez, you, you just you cannot ask uh, for more than that from Iafalo. So, be interesting to see and if he rookie. can keep this and up. As and really... a rookie, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, to be fair, not to piss on your Cheerios, but uh, he does have it. He is 24 years old. So actually, he's three years older than Adrian Kempe. But nonetheless, it's still a huge jump uh, from collegiate hockey uh, to the NHL. And once again, if he's getting better every game, I will take it. Especially once again, when you look at when you just look at a lot of the good things in this game, and you you know you kind of look a little bit down the road. You don't want to look too far ahead. But once again, with the prospects of Jeff Carter coming back, I mean. Provided the Kings can just stay in that hunt uh, and, with, and get Carter back and kind of just do what Carter does, it, you know, it's a it's, it's long way to go, but you've got to feel a little bit of optimism with that scenario with the Kings at forward, given a, a lot of good things that have, uh, that have gone right. Uh, one other thing, though, I do want to point out, just so once again uh, people don't uh, accuse us of being a bunch of kiss-asses, uh, Tyler Toffoli's only had three assists since uh, the new year. I do not know yep. what is going on with Tyler Toffoli, but if there is a king that's struggling, it is definitely him. Uh, you can tell now, too, even even in tonight's game, not saying he sucked uh, or anything, three shots on goal tonight, 17 minutes of ice time, but it looks to me like he's starting to kind of doubt his game. Uh, he, it's not looking like it's coming easy or natural to Toffoli anymore, and he's kind of starting to second-guess himself. Are you kind of seeing that as well, Jeff? Toffoli has not scored a goal since January 6th against Nashville. He's been stuck at 18 goals since January 6th. He needs a goal bad. And I, for sure, when you, when you go on a long slump, and, you know, we played hockey hip, you play hockey, you coach hockey. Um, you know, when you don't play for a while, even if you're playing good in other areas, which Toffoli is, isn't either, to be honest. Like, he's not playing bad, bad. He's not in a complete slump. He's definitely in a scoring slump. But he's not playing great either compared to his teammates. And the fact that he's on the, uh, the top line with Kopitar, and Kopitar and I have followed or finding ways to get points, yet Toffoli struggles even sometimes to, uh, to get assists, really have some, you know, makes you scratch your head. And Toffoli knows this. It plays with your mind. If you don't score for a while, it plays with your mind. Especially when, you know, you have scored, you have, uh, what, 30 goals, I don't even remember. I don't have a right in front of me right now with Toffoli, but he scored 30 goals two years ago, did he not, when he had his career year? Last year, of course, he had a lot of injuries. Pearson had his career year. But Toffoli, we know he can score, and he can score big goals. He can, he can set up great plays. He can be great on the power play, but we're not really seeing much of that anyways, yet Stevens is keeping him on the top line. They moved Dustin Brown to the second line, who's playing great, so Toffoli can go up to the top line, and maybe Kopitar can kind of wake him up, but it's not really happening. So, if he's not injured, then it's definitely a confidence issue. And you can see it, you know. He's just holding the stick too tight. 
he wants it too bad now, and, and it just starts messing with your mind. So hopefully Toffoli can get a big goal. If he's able to score a big goal tomorrow against Tampa Bay, that's a great start. At least you're getting that momentum back. And then if you can score another one or set up something, and slowly you get that confidence back, and that's exactly what Toffoli needs. He just needs a little, maybe even a, putt, a little bit of puck luck or something. But he needs to score because the longer this goes, the worse it's going to affect him. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, and we got a caller on the line here from my backyard in the 949. Let's go ahead and bring him on. Hey, you're listening to L.A. Kings Road Talk Radio, talking all things L.A. Kings. Got a Trevor Lewis update right around the corner as well uh, as an update to the Ducks-Oilers game going on right now down the 5 freeway. Uh, Mr. 949, you're on the air with uh, Hip Check, Jeff Duarte, Jerry from Ohio. Go ahead, man. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hi, gentlemen. This is Joe from Lake Forest. Um, hey, just wanted to my say good thank buddy, you very Joe. much. How are you doing, buddy? Absolutely. Good, good. How are you doing? Doing good, man. Um, nice to hear from you, man. What we, uh, Go ahead. Get to get on it. Well, I, I haven't been able to watch a lot of uh, Kings games uh, uh, during the week, at the 4 o'clock especially, but, um, or tonight I was listening to um, the radio show. But um, what do you think um, – because we're – what I'm looking at is we're not consistent as we would like them to be. We'd like them to be undefeated, of course. What is um, when we lose? What do you, or your opinion of what's our breakdown? What, what's our our main? Is it a lot of turnovers? No forechecking. Uh, where do we fall apart at? Uh, you know what? That's that's actually a, a really really good question, and it's kind of hard to quantify because. There were some games really where I, the team had played good, but really quick, quick was not on his game. Uh, and then really there, there were some games that stretch in the season where the Kings just could not score. They went into their scoring slump. Uh, there was that stretch of games where really the whole team looked like shit outright. So very, very hard to quantify. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff go ahead, man. This might be a good question for you. I mean, is there a, is there a consistent weak link in the Kings uh, when they when they hit the skids? The the first thing that pops up into mind is that sometimes it's defensively whether the Kings are not back checking properly with enough energy or consistency to you know help the defenders out. Uh, sometimes it's just a complete breakdown by the defense. They're just not in sync. Maybe the defensive pairings are, are, are going bad. But I think overall, sometimes it's just that missing link. We didn't see it today. You know, when they're on, they're on. But sometimes, you know, it's like the Kings still need that one more defenseman, maybe that Slava Voinov, you know, replacement that's still been lacking these past few years since the incident. Um, but but sometimes it's not even that. Sometimes it could be a, a, just the Kings cannot score. They could be great defensively and hold off the other team because earlier in the season, the Kings, when they had their first losing streak, they were only losing by one goal. They were one-goal games. So they were playing right. great defensively, but, but they couldn't get goals, in, especially from the bottom six. And if you look at the bottom six scoring, I mean, today it was great. But overall, sometimes it's really only Trevor Lewis that has been consistent when it comes to scoring down at the bottom six. So they still need someone down there 
Like, Gabrick would need to wake up and actually, you know, be effective with the team when he's not a healthy scratch or injured and try to get those goals in there. It can't just be Trevor Lewis or the young guys need to step up. But right now, they, sometimes there's a missing link defensively um, or it's just lack of goals. They're playing great as a unit with defense, but the Kings just can't get that puck in the net, and they can't just rely on the top two lines for doing it. The third and fourth right. lines got to do it as well. So do you think um, – yeah. What do you think will happen with Gabrick uh, if he continues the way he's continuing the rest of the year? Um, and also, do you think Toffoli's lack of scoring is because Carter isn't on his line? Well, let me let me go ahead and think that. I think I think that I think you're definitely always going to be impacted when you're not playing with Jeff Carter. <laughs> you know, if you're not playing with Kofi or Carter it's probably going to have a little bit of an impact on your overall game. But still, nonetheless, uh, you still expect more uh, from from a guy like Toffoli. And once again, uh, let's be honest here. If we really want to take a, a, a cold, hard look, if that's the case where, uh, you know, he needs a Jeff Carter to produce, it really just exposes Toffoli as a one-dimensional player. Not saying I hate the guy, not right. saying he sucks, not saying trade him, but – if that's the case, and I'll give you an example, and uh, Jeff, you could back me up on this back in the day. Anybody remember Jonathan Chichu? Remember Jonathan oh, Chichu, yeah, who was on San Jose? and You know, right? Was yeah, he, he was the poster child for that. Yeah, exactly. He uh, was on San Jose, played with Joe Thornton, had the couple 40-goal seasons, uh, believe he got moved to Ottawa, and it was the downward spiral from spiral. Uh, from there, so uh, it's it's a good point. You know, the thing that makes me happy here, though, and let's go, let's talk about Gabbert because here's here is an interesting scenario, Joe. So I'm glad you brought that up. Personally, I am all right with Gabbert being a healthy scratch, but we can talk about in the event Trevor Lewis can't go tomorrow, what mm-hmm. are those roster changes that you make? And then secondly, if if Toffoli, once again, doesn't get it going. At what point do you scratch Toffoli and put Gabarik in a top six spot with with a Kopi or with a, a top six guy to try to get him going? I mean, at some point you're going to – I assume you're going to have to make that move at some point if Toffoli continues to, to not produce. Uh, Joe, right. would you think uh, that's probably not, not beyond the, the reality, right? Yeah, it's it's uh it's uh I I I wonder especially with these two guys all the time and I know uh Pearson every once in a while too that they I don't know if they I I'm I'm not sure if they're being, you know, spied on with their the other team's best defenseman, but some they're not being who we think they should be, which is put, you know, guys that are going to put the puck at the back of the net. Um you know, it's nice that Tanner Pearson can run up and down real quick, but we need more shots. We need we need more development to happen down at uh, when we're going to score. And it just seems we come down and we'll just do the one shot when these guys get on there, and then we're already going back the other way already. So I don't know if it's yeah. they they uh, if they're going to just be role players, or you know, and that's why I had brought up Carter. Uh, but like you said, that it will expose to Foley for being a one-dimensional because I think everybody respected Jeff Carter. So right away, as soon as he comes across the blue line, they're in the back. They're already backing up. So that frees up to Foley and Pearson at that point to sit there and just get into the right area for Carter to, you know, either shoot or get the rebound and shoot it in. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know what's funny because we talked about, uh, you know, we talked about uh, Alex, you know, Alex Diafalo, and uh, you know how he how he's played. Well, really, when you look at him, you know, for since the since the start of the new year, you know, he's got actually. Uh, let me go ahead and break this down real quick. Five. Five, seven, eight, nine. So since the New Year's, actually, Iafalo's got nine points. Toffoli's only got three. So, and and once again, the visibility. I I could I guess that also too. And let's be honest. That's another thing that doesn't work in Toffoli's favor, is that Iafalo he's visible. You can see right. him lifting sticks. You can yes. see him going for it. You know, you can see him getting in the lanes. You can see. <laughs> Where that guy's got a motor that does not stop, and he simply does not quit. And once again, that's not really a good reflection on Toffoli. Not saying that he needs to change his style, but it definitely makes him uh, need to pick it up, not, right? It, it, exactly, exactly. So, no, really, really uh, good points, Joe. Hey, we got to do another uh, another game watch sometime out here, don't we? Absolutely, yeah. It's been too long. I've been trying to get Liz to uh, get it going, and she's a little slow, uh, especially with work right now. So hopefully uh, we can get it back on track and uh, get the Kings going on into the playoffs. Uh, dude, that would be so great. We'll have to go hit some of our uh, our favorite spots again. And, you know, once again, too, Joe, before I let you go, you, you, you kind of love this scenario here, though, that once again – uh, Kings really, you know, they're they're a good road team right now. They're uh, 16, 10, and two. Uh, did mm-hmm. a little math before this game even, where the Kings' road win percentage is .55, and so really, wow. if you break down this road trip, uh, if you break down this road trip and the number of the games, and you know, using that as an average, statistically, the Kings should probably win about four games out of this road trip, good enough for another eight points in the standings. So if they can manage to do that and think uh, Jeff Carter did not accompany them on the trip, still doing treatment, but we see him skating and other things, there's uh-huh. a pretty good chance that uh, when they're when the Kings are home after this long road trip, that Carter, if he has no setbacks, there's a pretty good chance that he might be playing on the Kings again. And once again, Jeez. imagine now the luxury – uh, that the Kings are going to have when when Carter comes back. You already got Gabrick sitting. Uh, you, you're never going to sit Iafalo. There's some other players that are are just playing so well that you know they're simply not going to sit. You know you're not going to sit Kempe. You're not going to sit Iafalo. Uh, chances are yeah. they're probably going to have to send uh, you know probably send uh, Amadio or Brzezinski back to Ontario. But once again. With the depth, they would have it forward with Carter coming back. And once again, now think, too, you have the option where you can start bouncing Kempe around. Can you imagine that, where you can start That's nice. cherry-picking you know, cherry picking <laughs> Kempe and that speed and putting him on a line maybe and being able to match that guy's speed up against uh, another team's fourth line? Uh, that, guy, that guy cruises. Oh yeah, fun fun as hell um, to watch too. So. Uh, real quick before I before I take off, uh, what, I'd like to know uh, your your uh, both of your opinions of uh, the Vegas Knights and and how is this happening, and why is this happening? <laughs> yeah, I can I can break it down pretty easy. In the salary cap era, teams exposed a lot of guys that they never would have exposed just because they're scared to death of being stuck in a cap situation. 
And so mm-hmm. there was no – think in the old days of the expansion draft, teams could easily just expose their schlubs. You know, you could expose your fifth and sixth guy. You didn't give you didn't give two shits. You know, there was no cap. You could protect all your best guys. Therefore, mm-hmm. the Atlanta Thrashers, you know, had a shitty team <laughs> oh, their man. first five years because they had the dregs from every other NHL team. But in the salary cap era, it was a golden opportunity for a lot of teams uh, to, to, A, dump good guys or, once again, really force their hand where they had to probably, you know, look at McNabb for an example. Kings probably would mm-hmm. have still loved to have McNabb on D. But just the salary cap and the way the new NHL is, Vegas had probably the the greatest, ta- you know, expansion team ever talent-wise. <laughs> you know, really really when you think yeah. about it. I mean, they got James Neal. You know, what team yeah. wouldn't want James Neal? They got Mark, Marc-Andre Fleury as their goalie. It's, you know, multi-time Stanley Cup winner. And let's be honest, too, uh, <laughs> Gerard Gallant, fantastic, fantastic coach. Had the Kings uh, hired Gerard Gallant and not John Stevens, I wouldn't have cried a bit because I thought Gerard Gallant was clearly uh, one of the best coaches in the league, uh, even up to that point. Uh, Jeff, go ahead. What are your thoughts there on the the phenomena that is the Golden Knights? Yeah, you pretty much – hit the nail right in the head, hip check. And I want to give props also to GM uh, George C. Um, that for making the proper selections, such as bring it in Gerardo as head coach, and making the choices that he made, um, that, that he was able to get from the expansion draft. And let's be fair, Vegas had an easier expansion draft than uh, previous expansion teams uh, in the past. We know that uh, the LA Kings didn't have this back in 1967. So we did get uh, an old <laughs> Terry Sawchuk, and that's pretty good. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like to pick up a James Neal and everything was just absolutely phenomenal. But you have a very smart GM in George McPhee. And, like, Gerard Gallant was one of those names that were thrown around after he was fired by Florida as their head coach, ironically, that's who the Kings played today. You know, as a possible replacement for Daryl Sutter, right? But, you know, he ended up going to Vegas as well and all the power to them for that. But there's also the thing that a lot of these players as well have a chip on their shoulder. And the reason why they have a chip on their shoulder is that they were, a lot of them were big contributors to their previous teams. Uh, But, you know, you can only save so many skaters, so many uh, goaltenders that they happen to have to be exposed. And that's just the nature of the way that the expansion draft went. But some of these have something to prove. Plus the excitement of playing in Vegas where there's a lot of hype, there's a lot of hoopla, and this brand-new, beautiful hockey arena, right, the T-Mobile Center, um, with, with this magical electric atmosphere because, you know, this is brand-new, and, and they're playing to that excited crowd every night, and they're trying to prove to their old teams, look, man, should have given up on us. We're going to make you guys pay for that. They're just, they're just on this, like, avalanche of momentum, and, all mm-hmm. you know, that's all the power to them. Let's see what happens once we get into the playoffs and the checking gets tighter, and you got, you got to play uh, a best-of-seven series, you know, where it's not the same type of hockey you're playing now in the regular season, and let's see what they truly have. But, yeah, kudos to George McPhee uh, for selecting the team that he did, and I think I even wrote it for Cali Sports News when I did the preseason thing, that I thought he did a, a very commendable job of piecing this team together and very early getting rid of pieces that weren't working right away, not letting it sit there and trying to be very proactive uh, from the beginning. But still... I'm still skeptical. Let's see how long this is going to last because this could be just, you know, this, they could be the Edmonton Oilers of the 2017-18 season. So let's see. Okay. Sounds yeah, good. Thank good, you, gentlemen. Good and uh, I really enjoy everything. Uh, 
that you guys are doing, and uh, you guys have a great show. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. All right. Thanks so much, Joe. Yeah, you have a great thank night, you. buddy. We'll talk again you soon, too. all right? All righty. All right. There we go. Joe from Orange County. Hey, are you still with us, Jerry? Yes, I am. How many margaritas? Good hockey Jerry? talk, huh? <laughs> yes, very good hockey talk. No margaritas, Jeff. Uh, we're doing bourbon oh, okay. tonight. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Absolutely. I, I just took an old man nap earlier today. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, really good stuff. You know, the other thing we can talk about Vegas, and I won't uh, uh, won't dwell on it too long, but don't also underestimate a coach that really puts together a strategy that totally works to his team's roster. And then, more importantly, having those players buy in. I mean, that's just uh, – a one-two dynamic that I just can't be stressed enough. When you put together uh, a game plan and really a team philosophy that totally works to your team's strengths, and more importantly, you have veteran players that are completely buying in uh, and really leading the way for the uh, you know for the for the the kids, the younger kids. And you know, let's be honest too. It looked like. James Neal's having a good time. We've talked about him on the show. It looks like Mark Andre Fleury, dude. The amount of respect I have for Mark Andre Fleury since joining the Knights, dude. Unreal. I mean, I you know he's been on Pittsburgh all those years. Now he's you know a division rival. But dude, the amount of respect I have for Mark Andre Fleury really is uh, is is off the charts. He's uh, earned a ton of of kudos in my eyes. So. Hey, guys, let's go ahead real quick. We did have a quick uh, update, uh, pseudo-update, kind of update, uh, on uh, Twitter, or actually uh, John Stevens' post-game interview uh, said he thought they were going to be, uh, Lewis was going to be fine, but he's still being checked out. He doesn't know anything additional, but he said it looked like Lewis was going to be fine, but uh, once again, he nothing confirmed, so... We'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit later, and uh, let's go ahead and uh, go around the NHL, shall we? Let's Let me see it. if I can go ahead and give some. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Let me go ahead and bust out some a, a little bit of music here. There we go. Around the NHL here. Busy night in the NHL. A bevy of games. A lot of them affecting the Kings. Some good. Some not so good. Uh, we got some live scores right now uh, with about eight minutes left in the second period. Ducks leading the Oilers one to nothing. Uh, tonight we are all Oilers fans. Come on, Oil. Uh, pick your sorry shit off the floor and start playing some hockey. Uh, crazy. De- definitely the biggest disappointment, I think. I, I had thought that they were going to really challenge for the Pacific. It has to be the biggest letdown, uh, I think, in the, the in the entire season. Uh, real shootout there in uh, Long Island. Islanders seven, Red Wings six. Man, old time hockey there. Uh, touchdown for the Islanders. Hockey, pair yes. of field goals for <laughs> touchdown for the Islanders. Pair of field goals there for uh, for the Red Wings, and uh, real fun game there. Uh, big one for the Kings though, and this is uh, this is one we should all be happy. And I don't want to play the applause, but Rangers come back. Uh, to defeat the Calgary Flames four to three, oh, Rangers wow. down uh, three to three to two at the end of the second, and once again, Calgary coughs up two goals uh, in the uh, third period to lose. Huge game for the win uh, for for the Kings uh, as far as the standings are concerned. Uh, Capitals four, Blue Jackets two in the Who Gives a Shit Bowl. 
Hurricanes uh, beating the crap out of the Canucks, but everybody's doing that these days. Uh, St. Louis over the Jets. Jets losing at home. Kings are going to face them a little bit later on this road, Jeff. Uh, a, a, a slump uh, coming the Jets' way wouldn't be the worst uh, thing in the world for the L.A. Kings right now. And, unfortunately, it is now a final. Kings get no help from Pittsburgh. Uh, the Stars have defeated the Pittsburgh Penguins in overtime 4-2-3. Uh, so there you go, final there. And once again here in Sunrise, Florida, beautiful Sunrise, Florida, uh, Kings defeating the Panthers. Guys, did I ever tell you that I was actually went and visited a game? I have been to the arena there in Sunrise, Florida, and I have been to the area. And uh, if you're ever curious about what that area is like, uh, consider Irvine, California, or some other real modern-type urban plan city that's got a lot of land around it. Uh, it had a huge mall that was kind of like right by the arena where a lot of people would simply park at the mall and walk over to the arena. But it was really, for all intents and purposes, in, in, the, in the middle of nowhere, you know, to be honest, whereas the Tampa Bay Arena had, uh, you know, it was, it was definitely in the middle of a city. Beautiful arena there in, in Tampa Bay, uh, right there with, uh, on the water, had a nice view to it and everything. But... Uh, yeah, Sunrise, Florida, kind of a strange, uh, kind of a strange spot to uh, to put uh, to put a hockey team. You know, not really. You know, it was just it was just different. Let me put it uh, put it like that. Had a good time down there with the legendary uh, uh, Big Sean uh, years ago, and uh, and you could see too that uh, kind of a lot of empty seats. Did you, Jeff, when you watch a, the start of a hockey game, do you kind of just look to see what the attendance is and kind of see how uh, different teams are, are filling the stands? I do sometimes, but when it comes to the Florida Panthers, uh, I just assume that it's always going to be three-quarters empty because that's just how it is down there. Because, uh, you know, for the most part, like, for example, we'll say in L.A., as, as we all know, uh, the traffic is absolutely horrible that uh, sometimes that everyone's not making it to the Staples Center on, in time to start off the game because everyone's still stuck in traffic and trying to get to the arena and so on and so so forth. The same thing in New York, Chicago, Toronto, uh, you know, that, that's par for the course. But when it comes to uh, uh, the BB&T Center in Sunrise, Florida, when it comes to the Florida Panthers, it's just, I mean, they've been struggling with attendance for so many years now that it's already it's already been well over 20 years since the last time they were selling out regularly. And that's back, of course, when they were the expansion team and went all the way to the Stanley Cup final back in 96 when everybody would throw plastic rats onto the ice because everyone was excited about that Florida Panthers team. And really since then, they haven't even come close to anything like that. So it's in a bad area, right? Uh, really, they should... What they they should get if they're going to keep the Florida Panthers in the NHL, they got to find a way to get this team in Miami, all right, in the big city, or even maybe <laughs> yeah. Orlando, yeah. somewhere where the population is yeah. huge. Like I've never been to Sunrise, but I have been to uh, to Fort Lauderdale, and it's very close to Fort Lauderdale. And Fort Lauderdale is probably a better idea than having it in Sunrise, Florida. So yeah, it is a very very odd spot. 
spot. Kind of reminds me of where the Nassau Coliseum was in Uniondale, New York, for the Islanders for so many years. Just or even the Ottawa Senators, uh, they don't even play in Ottawa. They, they play in Kanata, Ontario, out in the boonies, which a lot of people complain about. you got to get these teams into the metropolitan city where everybody can get to the game. So uh, when it comes to Florida, yeah, I'm not surprised at all. But I do usually pay attention to that hip check, and I find it uh, fascinating sometimes that some – such as the Honda Center doesn't fill up, and that's and that's a team that you know is a contender in theory for the Stanley Cup. So I do find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we're going to have a little fisticuffs right now here. I'm watching the uh, Edmonton game. Edmonton takes Cogliano hard into the boards. Oilers going after uh, the Edmonton player it was Patrick Maroon who laid the hit. Cogliano now getting up, but. Uh, that's got uh, the Ducks' attention. We'll see what breaks down here, and if something breaks out, I'll do uh, my patented uh, hip check play-by-play. Hey, guys, uh, you know, and let me elaborate, too. I, I know this is what, like, we give a, a frog's fat ass about the Panthers, but it wasn't that it's a bad area, per se, as in crime or shitty area or whatnot. It's just, once again, it's very suburban and sparse, you know? So you're you're right. It seems like for an NHL team to have success, you kind of need to put close to where the Metro hub is and where there's a large contingent of people, which once again kind of makes you think, uh, you know, an area like Seattle, once again, would, you know, it's not a bad, it's not a bad choice. And once again, people up in Seattle love hockey. So, uh, you know, potential for a, a relocation there, but all right, guys, let's get to it. Now, other things I wanted to chat about here, cause Guys, it's, uh, the future is bright for the L.A. Kings, and the future's name is Gabe Velarde. Uh, Gabe Velarde, really the talk of the uh, junior leagues, and Jeff, I'm sure, is going to be able to, to give us insight on that. But three more assists tonight. Uh, had a hand in all three wow. uh, of the Kingston goals, much like Derek Forbert had a hand in all three of uh, the Kings goals tonight. I'm going to guess Velarde maybe had a little bit his assists were maybe a little bit more uh, uh, proactive than maybe forwards were. But uh, here, put this on for size, guys. 34 points in 16 games. Uh, with with a couple more points over the weekend, Velarde is going to move into fourth place in team scoring with only 17 games played. Like, we're like I mean, think of that. They're, a, they're like 52 games into the season, I think, right now, is how many team games that Kingston has played. He's going to be fourth on the team scoring in just 17 games played. He's leading uh, the OHL right now in points per game, uh, and it's not even close. And he shows no signs of slowing down. Uh, Jeff? In uh, Toronto, in the hockey hub where people actually uh, worship uh, the junior leagues and follow that very, very closely, is there a buzz starting to build around Gabe Velarde? There is not. Isn't that sad? There is not. And the reason why is because he's not playing anymore for the Windsor Spitfires. It's because he's playing for the Kingston Frontenacs where it – gets almost no coverage over here where I am in the Waterloo region near Toronto because Kingston is about a five-hour drive from here, so a four-hour drive away from the city of Toronto in the middle of no, nowhere in between Toronto and Montreal. 
And it's really, really sad where the Windsor Spitfires, of course, Windsor right on the border with Detroit. They are the reigning Memorial Cup champions. Uh, there actually is no buzz except for coming from us as Kings fans who are following uh, the Kings, you know, number one draft pick from this past uh, or last year. I, I still think it's 2017. Uh, from the 2017 summer from the draft, that's where the buzz really is coming up because he has been absolutely lights out. We have to remember he's coming back from a major injury, an injury that he suffered in the playoffs in the Memorial Cup last year he finished of course right to the end he lifted up the cup and everything but he missed the first half of the season which totally messed up my press credentials when it came to covering Gabriel Velarde uh, because I had the Kitchener Rangers and the Guelph Storm were nice enough to give me press credentials whenever Windsor came to town but because he was hurt for the first half of the season he was actually down in LA rehabbing so I didn't get to see him at all still saw some great hockey uh, but I had nothing to write about, nothing to cover. And then as soon as they were coming close to coming back and he came back to play, he gets traded to Kingston on New Year's Day. And, of course, I don't have any deal with the Kingston Frontenacs or with the Rangers in the Storm to go see Kingston. I was able to work something out with the Mississauga Steelheads who have Kings prospect Jacob Movarari playing for them. But that is not until March. So I have to wait until March. Hopefully... Everything's good, knock on wood. He's going to be playing. I get to actually watch him in person and really break down his game and see his progress and see how he's playing. But just watch him from afar. He is lights out. He is just completely on fire. And, yeah, the future is definitely bright. So far, so good. Absolutely. And just to give you a little bit of an idea of that, uh, 2.12 points per game in his return, 55 shots on goal in just 16 games. And once again, uh, you, meant, you had mentioned the trade. You had mentioned, uh, you had mentioned the trade about uh, how he was traded from Windsor to, to Kingston. And the reason, and we talked about this on the show, but the reason was that uh, Warren Reichel, former King Warren Reichel, who's the general manager, he had just assumed – uh, that there was no way that Gabriel Velarde was actually going to return for his, his fifth overage season, that he was that good, that he just assumed that he would be a professional probably playing in the NHL. And really, when you look at it, six foot three, 210, uh, huge size, great hands, everything he does well. The only knock is that, you know, they say his skating's, uh, you know, could be a little bit improved, but Everything else is top-notch, and uh, we talked about it where somebody had ran into King's head scout, Mike Fuda, and had asked about the comparisons of Velarde to uh, Jason Allison, and Fuda, without missing a beat, basically said that, Gilar- that Velarde is, is uh, a far superior player to Jason Allison. Just, and it wasn't even close. I mean, he said it just pretty very, very quickly that it wasn't even close. Velarde is a different type of player. And two, I invite you folks to, that haven't got, done it, go to HF Boards, Hockey Futures Boards, and read some of the prospects talks when they do redrafts and things like that. And uh, the talk of Velarde there really is, uh, you know, was, was projected at one time to be the third overall in a lot of people's yep. boards, uh, the you know the consensus had him going at least no worse than five. Uh, I suspect it was the bat. And once again, they won't say it, but I, my, I suspect it was the injury that led to him dropping. But once again, who the hell cares? You know, he drops the number eleven. Kings pick him up, and right now, 
he is looking like the the real deal and i'm i'm really excited about it i really am when you look at uh you know when you look at some of the the young players the kings have now that uh you know when you look at kempi with his young age when you look at amadio with his age uh you know uh kopitar's getting older but you know there's still going to be a good couple seasons with them when you look at, at that and what's going on it's uh it's kind of hard to kind of exciting, you know, kind of gives you a little bit of a hope down the road for uh, our beloved L.A. Kings. So, all right, we do have a, an update here. It is two to 2-1 now in Anaheim. Uh, Ducks took a 2 nothing lead on a Corey Perry power play, and uh, Oilers came right back to uh, to score. Looks like Ducks are going on a power play again. Let's hope Oilers can hold them off. Let's hope the Oilers uh, can beat the Ducks in regulation somehow by the grace of God. Uh, one of the other things here, too, that is kind of a bummer, next game for the, the Ducks is going to be Sunday where the Ducks play the Sharks. I mean, I hate games like that. I, you know, it's like, what, what do you hope for when, you know, there's no, no, there's no good scenario out of that game for our Kings, right, Jeff? Yeah, those are the ones that you just don't want to think too much about because there's nothing you can do about it. It's just uh, a no-win situation in that case. And really, I guess if we if we if we wish for one thing, it's that they beat the shit out of each other, and the game turns into a nasty uh, a nasty horrible <laughs> game of a series of cheap shots, the likes we have never seen, which uh, <laughs> you know a bruising brouhaha of yes, exactly. I wasn't gonna say that. I don't want to offend the hockey gods, so I'm glad you said it, not me. I was thinking it though. Well, there. They're always mad right. at me anyway, so it might as well be me. <laughs> All right. Hey, Jerry, we're going to go ahead and say goodnight, brother. Thank you so much for your call. Uh, we're going to be on tomorrow night. Uh, I, Jeff, uh, Jeff's going to be running the show as I have uh, my son's hockey tournaments tomorrow and some other ice hockey games going on. So I'm going to try to hope the time uh, to find the time to go ahead and call in. Uh, but uh, Mr. Jeff Duarte is going to be running the helm. So anybody that's listening tonight want to call in tomorrow following the Kings versus Tampa Bay. And once again, uh, we're putting the 50 to 1. Uh, well, you said 100 to 1, right, Jeff? Yeah, I got 100 to 1, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll say, well, we'll, we'll meet halfway. We'll call it a 75 to 1 shot of whether or not we will see a repeat <laughs> of a Nick Shore goal with a uh, main assist going to Andy Andrioff. That's the Vegas line right now, 75 to 1 of uh, of that happening. So, all right, hey Jerry, you have a good night, okay, brother? All right, you See too. Jerry. Good luck with your son's game tomorrow. See you guys tomorrow. Thank you, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. There we go, Jerry from Ohio. And uh man, I uh, great 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 way to start the road trip. And once again, tomorrow, Tampa Bay. Uh, after that, uh, Kings in Carolina. Once again, Carolina not having that good a season. Let me go ahead and kind of get an update on where they're at. 59 points on the season uh, for Carolina. Basically, uh, you know, below, a, well, around a little bit 500. 5-4-1 five, in their last couple of games. Kings always seem to struggle, though, in Carolina. Do you do? I don't when the Kings play in Carolina, I don't really ever recall the Kings having a much luck. Is it is do I have a faulty memory, Jeff? What's your uh quick take on the Kings in Carolina? 
Uh, they've, they've been okay. I mean, they're not the best against Carolina, but Carolina isn't, say, a Nashville or a Minnesota who just seem to, you know, just have the Kings number one way or another, supernatural or not. But, uh, no, the, you know, Carolina, that's a game the Kings have to win. Buffalo also on this trip, that's a game the Kings have to win if they want to stay in the playoff hunt because playing against Tampa Bay tomorrow is going to be extremely difficult. It's one of the best teams in the league. Uh, Pittsburgh also on the road trip. They're the two-time strict defending Stanley Cup champions. Even though they're not playing like they did last year, they're going to be tough to beat, and then they're going to end this road trip with another back-to-back against Chicago, in Chicago, of course, because they're on the road trip, and then right after against Winnipeg, both teams, I mean, Chicago's Chicago. They're not the Blackhawks of the past, but you know they're ready to play the Kings because that rivalry is, has been red hot for the last five or six years or so. And Winnipeg has been playing fantastic this year. So it, it, this is not an easy trip, and it's so many games and so much traveling. And even when the Kings go back home after this road trip, there's so many tight games that they're pretty much playing every other day. So when you're playing in Carolina, when you're playing in Buffalo, and you're playing the Florida Panthers like you did today, you you know what? If you're the better team, they show you're the better team. You got to beat those teams for sure. But Carolina, you know what? I've seen games where the Kings go into Carolina and they play fantastic and they win it. But I've also seen the other way around too in the past two or three years. So, you know, I try to be optimistic, but I never have anything guaranteed. But the Kings definitely, definitely have to get a win in that game. But let's worry about Tampa Bay first. Let's try to get at least a point, at best two points, against the Red Hot Lightning. Absolutely. Hey, one other thing, too, that we kind of forgot to talk about was, uh, you know, what we talk about the, the way the Kings played a complete game tonight. And we didn't do we didn't even do the three stars because we were just getting into it. And it, and we both that we all admitted it was very, very difficult to choose a three stars because every team played so well. And we're not going to do it now. But I did want to give some honorable mentions out here that uh, tonight, Tori Mitchell was uh, 12 of 15 in the face-off circle, dude. 80%, 80% face-offs uh, tonight for Tory Mitchell. That's fucking outstanding. You know, oh, yeah. anytime that's think of a player him, right? gets 51, 50. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah definitely. That's, that's why uh, they got even, him. Uh, that's right. Even Nick Shore, uh, you know, five of three tonight. They actually had better luck uh, tonight than Kopitar did. And um, but once again, that 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 faceoff percentage is just insane uh, for Tory Mitchell. And uh, let me take one last uh, one last perusal of the L.A. Kings insider. And I'll tell you what, Jeff, why don't uh, we go ahead and uh, get ready to sign this guy off? Uh, what do you think? Uh, what song do you want to go ahead and play us off with, as far as uh, Elvis or Sammy Hagar? No, bro, it's because it's Friday night, and we're going into the weekend. The weekend officially is on right now. I'm hoping we play some Sammy Hagar to end the night. We we earned it. We absolutely did. I'm sorry I have no updates regarding uh, Trevor Lewis, but I'm sure we'll be talking about it tomorrow when we're back on the air. And, uh, Jeff, thank you so much for talking hockey, man. It's always a pleasure and a great way to start off the road trip. It's an honor, Hip Track, always to be on the show here and talk hockey with you, my friend. Uh, We can do this all night long, all day long, for sure. (laughs) We absolutely could, and it speaks volumes about our lives we lead, huh? Hockey rules, Hip, that's all I can say, hockey rules. Indeed. All right, good night, everybody.
Smoke some coke and then drive. Drive. 